Good morning. Good morning, planet Bo Blimpdock. <clears throat> or is it good evening? It's just, just after midnight, Saturday, February the 5th, 2022. Can you believe it? Yes, just after midnight, you can hear the caterwauling of the gypsy banshees in the wooded zone. They are singing the old songs, the old-timey songs. Get along, old fella. Drink your slap whiskey. Get back in your jalopy. Go drive down to the canyon and bury that hooker. So you haven't heard from me in a while. If you listen to this podcast, you're one of the 20 people that do. And you haven't heard from me in a bit. Not for over a week. And the question might be, why, Dan? Why have you been radio silent? Well, hopefully part of this podcast will explain that. And then maybe the other issue or the other factor in all this is life happens and... Sometimes I really don't feel inspired uh, to talk about it, to talk about any of it. Can't really blame all you folks if you don't want to talk about it. Or if you don't want to hear about it, the troubles, the old Irish troubles. There's sand in the woodpipe. There's wind in your willy whistle. First topic. But it is February the 5th, 2022, and it's almost 1 a.m. Mountain Standard Time in Utah. If you listen to this podcast, you may or may not know that I am a Christian. I have not been a Christian my whole life. I spent most of my life, like I think a lot of people spend most of their life, deeply confused about the nature of reality. And I don't claim to have all the answers. I have a few. I believe when I die, I'll get the rest. But I don't know. You don't know either. But here are some things that I'm pretty certain of. Everybody dies. Nobody's going to live forever. You know, everyone's going to make mistakes. And sometimes those mistakes will lead to your death. And that, too, is both in the Bible and in reality And it's something that our Lord Jesus Christ tried to teach us about. He tried to teach us about the mistakes. But one of the mistakes that I think the church made, and when I say the church, I don't mean the Catholic church because I don't know what it is. But I mean those people for the last couple thousand years that have worshipped Jesus Christ. You know, for the last two millennia that have had faith in Jesus Christ, that have met together together. You know, maybe just two people, three people, maybe a crowd of people. For those who worship together, um, this is a mistake that some made, but not all made. And, And we can forgive mistakes. We should because Christ did, and we're supposed to be more like Christ. One of the mistakes is the issue around ministering, being a shepherd, 
What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian? And then why do we have these divisions between, even today, the minister and the flock? And when I say division, I'm not saying it's not relevant. Um, sometimes it is relevant to have someone facilitate worship. That's not a problem, you know? I consider myself a bit of a Quaker from the perspective of worship. I think worship should be directed away from rituals that are not connected to Christ and directed towards the message of Christ. But that's just my opinion. How you want to worship is your business. If you want to go to a giant Catholic church someplace that is built in medieval style and you want to participate in something that is out of time, out of history, out of place, um, you can do that. That's your right. You can do that. You can participate in that sort of thing, whether it's some good old, you know, stuffy Protestant church you like, or whether it's some Catholic church you like. That's your business. That's your choice. But the mistake of thinking that there are duly ordained people, and only these duly ordained people, going back to Peter, have the right to call themselves ministers, is not just a mistake, but it's one of the great errors of Christianity. We, as Christians, are not slaves. We, as Christians, are not prisoners. We're not trapped. One of the things the Lord did when he died on the cross is he broke our chains. We were connected to the wheel of history, our sins, our failures, our plight, and Christ broke those chains. Now, you don't have to believe in God, and you don't have to even think I'm a good or bad Christian. But what I am telling you is that if you are a Christian, it's not probably enough for any of us, including me, to simply follow. It's not just enough to read the Bible and memorize some verses. It's not enough to go to church every Sunday. There are people in our life, in our world, in our families, amongst our friends, who need our help. One of the reasons why the devil wants to divide the church is because when the church is doing what it's supposed to do, and that's been pretty rare in history, but when the church, those representatives of Christ on earth, are doing what they're supposed to do, we help those people damaged by Satan. We're not perfect. We're not without sin. I sin every day. Sometimes I sin twice on Sunday. I am far from perfect, and I am not seeking after perfection. That is some type of Nietzschean bullshit I got obsessed with when I was a kid. And I like Nietzsche. As philosophers go, as German philosophers go, good old Friedrich's one of my fucking favorites. But it's not about a will to power. It's not about ruling over others. You know, we have been fed a lot of sociopathic crap in our culture, in our educational system, and it goes back way before I was born. It probably is related to the great Prussian reforms of the 19th century, but we're fed a lot of obedience theory. And one of the common mistakes or errors of Christianity isn't just that we're not being ministers, but we spend way too much time being slaves. Christ died on the cross to break your chains. Why do we spend any time putting them back on? Why? And if you don't like my foul language, I'm going to give you my quick 
30-second speech on cursing. If you don't know the difference between dirty words and a curse, you're in a lot of trouble, existentially speaking. I, I, I mean it. Some of you guys go around cursing all the time. But at least I don't use bad words, Dan. At least I don't say fuck. But you go around wishing people dead. And some of you are Christians and you do that. So here's my quick speech on foul language and cursing. If you don't know the difference between a dirty word, which I promise you, during those 40 years in the desert, those good old Hebrews probably invented a few, you fuck. And that's also not a curse, buddy. If you're a Christian and you don't know the difference between dirty words and cursing, you really need to, to read your Old and New Testament and understand. So before I continue, if you don't like my dirty language when I'm talking about God, believe me, the Lord wants you hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, Jesus doesn't want anything to do with you. No offense. We were supposed to minister to each other. We weren't supposed to wait for saints. We weren't supposed to wait for popes. We weren't supposed to get permission to forgive each other. We were supposed to do that for each other. Christ, okay, when he came along, when he became who he is, who he always was, when he was God-made man, Christ was also a teacher, and he was a teacher who tried to do something that's very difficult. He tried to teach people how to teach. He didn't want slaves. He and, and I'm not even sure the word disciple really is properly understood, but he definitely didn't want slaves. He wanted people to learn from him, to learn from the Son of God, so that when he had to leave one day for a while, that we would be able to take care of each other the way that he attempted to take care of all of us. Now, why am I talking about this? Because... I think there are people in our lives, and this applies to the atheists as well. If you think I'm going to get all like, you know, burn in hell atheist, I'm not. That's your business. That's between you and God. Whether you're an atheist or a Christian or a Buddhist or a Muslim or whatever you believe, there are people in your lives who have been deeply psychologically damaged by all the really horrific garbage that's been tossed on humanity for almost two years. Now, you may not like it when I talk about psychological warfare, fine. If you're, if you're comfortable living in a shack named mass formation psychosis, a.k.a. gaslighting, that's, that's fine. If you want to believe that nonsense, that's fine. But whether it's A or B, what I can tell you is that a lot of people have been psychologically and spiritually harmed and that the church has been divided. And if the church was not divided today, if people were really, truly worshiping Jesus and not the state, not the government, but worshiping Christ, if they really were, we would be there to help people from drowning, and we're not. And that includes me too. I'm not going to preach out of school and say, oh, but look at how great a job I've been doing. I made an attempt in 2020 at trying to do something. It kind of petered out. I wouldn't call it a failure, but I really don't know how to define success in terms of the Lord. I really don't. To me, the whole Christ thing on one level is pretty fucking simple. It's pass-fail. It's not to say you have to be perfect, but, you know, I find it hard to believe that a person could be a, a wretchedly terrible person, have no faith in God, um, and, and make it to heaven. So that's what I would say. You don't have to be perfect. 
But if you're an atheist or agnostic and you're listening, this is what I'm telling you. As a human being, and if no one's told you this, I'm going to blow your mind. As a human being, you need to know that there's a huge difference between kindness and communism. And there's a huge difference between helping someone and manipulating them. And if you don't know the difference between those things, then maybe you shouldn't be ministering to people. Maybe you should be talking to Christ and asking for help, but you should know the difference between what kindness is and what communism is. If you don't know the difference at this point in human history, then some terrible things may happen in your life. I really don't know. I mean, my own perspective on history at this point is that the empire that swallowed up the free republic of the United States, the empire that came into existence almost immediately after the, uh, the coup of 1787, the empire's coming to an end. A lot of people are spreading fear about Hitler and Nazis. Listen, jokers, this is not Berlin 1933. This is Berlin 1945. If you don't know the difference, you need to check yourself. All right? You're, if, you're, if you're telling them stories about concentration camps, there are ghosts of dead Native Americans who would love to wake from their graves and beat you over the head with a rock. We were killing people and rounding up people almost from the beginning. It took about 30 seconds for the ink dry to, for the ink to dry on the U.S. Constitution. And five minutes later, we were using that document, which stole your freedom, as an excuse to round people up. So if you're going to give me little speeches about how we're entering our Nazi phase, you are completely out of touch with reality. We've been there. We've done it. We've killed people. When I say we, if that bothers you, the Death Star did. Okay, the government did. You were just riding on it. Yeah, you didn't want anybody hurt. You just want a cheeseburger. You didn't want that family drone striked. You just want a good price for a gallon of gasoline, you fuck. You just wanted a, a good deal on a gallon of gasoline, right? That's all you, you didn't want them to blow up that village. I don't care. All I'm telling you is, at this point in the game, if you're speeching that fucking, it, it, well, the Nazis will come and take over and they'll steal all your freedom. If you're speeching that bullshit at this point and telling people that, you're doing the opposite of ministering to your neighbors. You are terrorizing them. What we should be talking about, what we should always be talking about, is life. How do you live your life? Do you live it by harming others? Or do you live it by trying to basically live your life and maybe even sometimes helping each other? Those are good questions. Those are good topics. But scaring people with stories of Nazis taking over? Listen, I will give you this. If you want to flip a coin, maybe we're headed towards some type of grotesque psychodrama dystopian police state bullshit I've not yet seen. I saw the movie THX 1138. That's the next stop from here, fucker. Okay? Because we did all that other wretched shit already. Okay? We've been there fucking done that. We got political prisoners. We've had political prisoners killed. We've had leaders assassinated. We've had a shitload of fucking wars. And there are a lot of dead people in a lot of places that did not have to die for it. And boy, do we have prisons. And boy, have we had concentration camps. Yeah, 
We call them reservations because it sounds nicer, like you're going to a fucking restaurant or you're preserving something. Or you have a reserved wine. You're not gonna you're not gonna uncork it until it's until it's really ready. I went a bit off topic there. But did I? As Christians, we're not supposed to simply sit in a pew and listen to some dude who claims to be a minister talk for an hour. There are many people claiming to be ministers. There are ministers who will say, well, look at me, Dan. I got a 501c3. I was certified by the IR fucking S, baby. You know, that David Koresh, was he certified? Who knows? I don't even know if he had a 501c3. If those people did, I don't know. There are many preachers and many priests and many bishops who will tell you that only through them and their education and their understanding of Latin and Greek can you find Christ. And if you believe that, I have some suggestions. Number one, read the book of Revelation sometimes, but just read the letters at the beginning. Read the letters to the churches and then you can stop. Read every one of those letters and understand what the Lord is telling his flock. He's basically saying there are things you should be worried about and things that are probably not the primary goal. Sitting around and thinking about God is not the purpose of God, okay? That was one of the messages in those letters, you know? If your whole focus is building some great school or academy of thinkers who are going to think about the meaning of some Greek word all day long, you do not understand the mission of Christ. I am paraphrasing, but that is one of the points in the letters. And that whole lukewarm thing is a point too. Believe me, there's a reason why those letters are in the book of Revelation. Because they are the fantastic bookend on one end to what is going to happen at some point in history. And brothers and sisters, I'm not a prophet and I am still trying to understand prophecy. So I have no idea what you can expect. I don't. These could be crappy times we're living in. These could be the end times. At this point, I think you can flip a coin, and either could be true. You don't need a 501c3 to talk to Jesus. You don't need a 501c3 to help others find God, okay? If you needed a 501c3, Christ would have told you. You don't need a college degree to speak to the Lord. You do not need a college degree to help others to Christ. If Christ thought you needed a college degree, he would have told you. And if you're thinking, well, maybe the Lord forgot to say things. He said some things. He did, in fact, I think, direct Peter to build a church. But I don't think he directed him to build the zombie that rose up after the Western Roman Empire fell. I don't think he wanted that. All right? Let, let's just get that out of the way. I, I'll find out when I die. And who knows? Maybe I'll go to hell because I don't know the right things. But if Christ believed, and Christ knew because Christ is Lord. If Christ thought we should know that you have to know everything perfectly and memorize it, he would have told us and implied in all this crap they tell you about what is and isn't a church is the following, that our Lord did not leave us with sufficient instruction. And that's a lie. The Lord left us with all the knowledge we need in both the New and the Old Testament to live a pretty decent life. Not a perfect life, okay? 
Not a communist utopia. If that's what you think, you're deeply confused. But he did give us some pretty good guidelines and some pretty good history for understanding, A, that humans fuck up, and B, that doesn't mean we have to keep fucking up. We have choices we can make. We do not have to ask permission to care about our brothers and sisters. Boy, though, the COVID, right? The COVID divided families so far, and I don't really know that this nightmare is over. The COVID divided churches so far, so far, and we reached a point where we had to ask people permission, at least according to the news, right? In some countries like Australia, in some countries like, I guess, even Peru or other places, who knows what, what lies are being told. But if you believe the news, you know, they'd be welding people's doors shut in China because of the COVID, because of what I call the monkey herpes. Because frankly, the most rational people in the entire debate about the COVID that you'll get in the media are now saying the following. We all went a little crazy, and maybe the COVID wasn't that dangerous. That's real close to the truth, except for, and this is a really good example how close is not enough. Um, close to the truth is definitely not enough, okay? That's so close. The COVID is about as real as me being an NBA basketball player. Let's just get that out of the way. If we're talking pure numbers, then believe me, there's nothing statistically significant about the COVID. As far as everybody kind of going mass formation psychosis crazy, Dr. Malone is the latest crooked freak being dragged out to gaslight the fuck out of you. This was not a fucking random accident. And if you're out there and you're in trouble and you're depressed and sad, this was not your fucking fault. There were people in charge with power who made a decision about two years ago to turn off the fucking planet. That's what they did. That was their fucking decision. It wasn't yours. Now they're trying to gaslight you into thinking, well, you just went crazy too. And you let them do it to you. Kind of like telling the woman that gets beaten, well, you let them beat you, don't you? You, you, you cause him to do it somehow. No. You should probably leave. And in the context of the American public, you should probably stop fucking voting or caring about voting if you thought it ever worked. You need to end the relationship, but it isn't your fucking fault. This was done to you. This was done to me. This was done to all of us. And it wasn't an accident. And if you think that's a radical belief, fine. If you need to believe this was an accident so you can sleep at night, I get it. I totally get it. I do. Because once you recognize the truth, it can be scary as fuck. It can be scary as fuck to know how crooked, how deceitful, and how completely uncaring your government is. And it's not just the United States government. It's every crooked-ass government on planet Earth, period. Okay? The best government is no government. The next best is one that leaves you the fuck alone. And we crossed that Rubicon in this country a long time ago. Probably almost from the beginning. I didn't want to spend the whole podcast on this one topic, but like I said, there are many, many people out there who are going to try to tell you that you do not have a right as a Christian to bring other Christians together to worship with you. And, and the answer to that is they're, they're wrong. You have not just a right to do it, you probably, especially right now, have an obligation to pull Christians together. 
And if you feel like, well, Dan, how can I do that? Christ gave you instruction. It's in the New Testament. All of it is there. All of the instruction you need is in the New Testament, and pretty much the Old Testament's going to help you too. But the point is, the Bible is there for you. It can help you. And if you want to tell me the Bible some crooked conspiracy to make you a slave, let me tell you something. Christians, and, and I don't know who they are because only Christ knows, Christians and the true children of Jacob, and only Christ knows the children of Jacob, I don't know, Christians and the children of Jacob have been fighting this battle for thousands of years, okay? They don't need to be told what they can and can't do. Actual Christians out there are already doing it, and God bless them, and God does bless them. God blesses any person that saves a person from drowning. And sometimes a drowning is real in the water, and sometimes it is that metaphorical drowning that happens to people when they get so sad and so angry that they can't continue. Guess what? If you sat down with a friend as a Christian and you tried to help them, and, and it doesn't matter if you brought up the Bible while you were doing it, if Christ wanted us to sell God the way that we sell fucking cigarettes, he would have told us. He would have said, set up an ad agency and, and put together a bunch of models and make them sexy. If Christ wanted us to dress up God in some god-awful outfit and parade God with a bikini, believe me, Jesus would have left those footnotes before he left, and he did not. So if you're helping somebody, it doesn't mean you have to sell God. God kind of sells himself. I've learned that in my life. I'm not saying... You should never bring up Christianity. That's also not my fucking point. Um, I bring it up a lot, probably to the annoyance of some of my listeners. Um, what I am saying, though, is when you help that person, even if you don't mention one verse of the Bible, even if you don't even mention that you're a Christian, when you help that person in need, you are ministering to the flock. You are. You are doing God's work. If you bring together Christians into your home to worship, if you do so so that you can have a place to talk about God with other Christians, you are doing the Lord's work, you know, and you are a minister. And every single Christian that wants to live the kingdom life, and this is the critical part because it's scary, every Christian that wants to live the kingdom life, to include myself, we all have to be ministers, especially right now. We can't depend upon the church's lowercase of the earth right now to help us because many of them are lowercase churches for a reason. They're not following God. You got BMW Jesus selling you get-rich schemes. You've got, you know, social justice Jesus selling you a lot of communist crap. You've got all kinds of people selling lowercase Jesus. But there aren't that many churches right now actually talking about the Lord. They're talking about mass and mandates and sending missionaries on secret missions that no one can ever verify, really. They talk about donations to programs that you don't even know are legit. But they're not really talking about God. They're talking about building a new church with a coffee shop in the back. But they're not actually talking about Jesus, really. Something to think on, really. And when you think about the Vatican, meditate on this. They spent a lot of time and a lot of resources, and a lot of gold to amass a shitload of power. And even today, 
Even hundreds of years after the Peace of Westphalia, the last peace treaty where a pope was invited, even today they have this power. And if Christ had said, build me an institution on earth with armies and guns and obedient slaves and uniforms, build gaudy churches when you could be feeding the poor, if Christ had felt that was important instruction, he would have said so. But he didn't. Next topic. So I was born in the year 1970. And so I spent my, my you know, childhood years in the middle of that horrible stagflation everyone's you know, fear-mongering about right now, which I just don't think is very, good, is very helpful. But um, it wasn't that bad. Definitely not as bad as a few weird, creepy dudes have tried to gaslight me into lately. Good thing I kind of remember the 70s. But keep in mind, I grew up in a small town. So one of the things I learned early, well, not early on, but one of the things I learned after I left high school early on in my adulthood is that lots of people live different lives and cities have pretty much almost always kind of sucked. Almost always. I mean, I'm not saying they have to, but a lot of cities just turn to shit or they have a dumping ground for all their shit. The bad part of town. The place where shit happens and nobody gives a fuck. You know bad part of town. Um, the place where you go to the food bank and you get apples covered in pesticides. I, I lived in that town. I, I can verify that story. Yeah. The movie Rocky was an interesting film because when I saw it as a kid, it was one of those movies that kind of like, you know, perk you up. It's sort of like, wow, you know, it, it, it's almost the kind of movie where a person left the theater thinking they were Rocky. You know, you left the think theater thinking you were Rocky, you're going to put on your cut off sweatpants and run up and down the steps and, you know, all that Rocky, Rocky soundtrack music playing inside of your personal eight track tape in your head. And, and at the time, I was a kid, so I, I didn't think much of it. I thought, oh, this is a movie, you know, beefs people up a bit, makes them feel better. It probably doesn't have that many positive messages. I guess one of them is don't give up on your dreams. That's a good message. But I've been looking at these films um, since the 70s, whether, whether it's the Rocky films or the Star Wars films, definitely the Rambo films. So I guess Stallone has a kind of oeuvre. And even TV shows, like there's this TV show, Mr. Robot, and it came on in, I think, 2015, Bo Blimp Talk. And I was watching Mr. Robot the other day, because um, it's no longer on the air, it had four seasons and it was over. And it was one of these interesting sort of mind fucks, because the, the show actually starts out in a pretty cool place, if you ask me. Um, a lot of reasonable conversation about things we should be critical of. And it ends up in a place where you can only say, a lot like the whole Dr. Malone mass formation psychosis, the, the last season, season four, is almost like a gaslight. You know, you're basically taken down this road where the dark secrets of everything is really about the main character being sexually abused as a kid. And I'm not saying that wasn't the goal of the writer to begin with. Looking back on the last few years, I kind of think it was. 
These movies, they're not random, I don't think. Especially in America. I think that there is a dark connection between the deep state and these types of films. These films are designed to confuse you. They are designed to um, almost act like a surrogate. Like if you go and watch the movie The, the, the Matrix, you, you can kind of disconnect yourself a little. And then imagine yourself as the fucking hero. And when you go to watch that fucking V for Vendetta, my God, I like that movie. But looking back, what a mind fuck. Because ultimately, these films, in a weird, contrived kind of way, they do kind of take pressure off. Like, person can go see Rocky, and maybe they don't feel so bad about living in New York City in the late 70s, or living in Philadelphia. I think it's Philadelphia where Rocky was from, right? Philly or something? Who the fuck knows? I don't care. But you could watch the movie and say, well, I've got all this urban blight and violence, but hey, you know what? Rocky didn't give up, so I won't give up either. And if you watch that original Star Wars film, which is its own kind of mind fuck, because the first one was episode four, fuck you. You can watch that movie and you can imagine traveling in space. You're not in the middle of stagflation. You're in a starship doing the Kessel Run and whatever parsecs kind of bullshit. How much of it is real? I mean, a person would look at Hollywood and the media and say, none of it, Dan, it's never been real. But my question is, how much of it is only for the purpose of entertainment? Because when I look at a lot of this media, it seems to have a dual purpose. Yeah, 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 you'll get some popcorn. But the movies that I've seen the last couple years, I mean, it's almost like they've gone to the other side. They don't give a shit about entertainment. They want to take some perspective on the world and shove it down your fucking throat. I would say as far as media goes, Netflix is one of the worst. They, they have shows that you like and you'll watch, and then they have other shows that are taking some crooked agenda and shoving it down your fucking throat. And so you have to consume it. You have to sit there and consume it along with the thing you like. A spoonful of sugar, which really means cocaine, helps the medicine go down, and medicine in this case means punishment. Or conditioning. Um, or mind control. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I'm calling this Rocky Syndrome because it's it's kind of a it's kind of its own mindfuck psyop. You make one of these movies and people go to see it, and all of a sudden they don't have to give much of a shit about the reality of their lives, and maybe they're not going to give up or something. And maybe it is about that, and maybe I have a shitty attitude, but I don't know. Next topic. So here's a quote from Doctor Freckles. Okay, this is a quote from Doctor Freckles. Dog rule number 87. If it's close to their mouth or on the ground, it is theirs. Um, I've spent time around a lot of dogs in the last few months, and i got to say it's been one of the things that saved my life. Not the only thing, but it's been one of those factors that's kind of... It's, it's helped me keep going, to tell you the truth. Because these dogs, they care about things, but I don't know. I don't know how to put this. I think they have a better focus on what matters than most of the people on planet Earth right now. So at least if I want to have a rational or base connection to a living thing, I can sit with a dog. And that's nice. But one of the things you learn about dogs is that they're not thieves. They're, their goal is not to steal your sandwich. But there are some basic rules, okay? 
here's the deal. If it's on the floor, it belongs to the dog. It will. It's going to happen. If you left it on the floor, the dog gets to go get it. Okay? If it's near the dog's mouth, which means almost where the dog could just quickly bite the sandwich, take it in, consume it in two or three seconds, you know, wolf it down, right? If it's near a dog's mouth, it's probably going to eat it. I don't care how well trained the dog is. If you move that sandwich close to the dog's mouth, it's going to eat that sandwich, okay? And I would say if there's food on a table and there's any way the dog can conceive of getting it on the ground, that's a no-brainer for the dog. And you can say, well, that's a little crooked. But remember, you're a human being, so you invented, you invented fucking crooked. Dogs didn't, you know. I mean, dogs didn't invent crooked. You humans, we did that. We, we're very crooked, crooked fucking people. If it's on the floor, if it's near the dog's mouth, it's going in the belly. If it's on the table, if it's on the table and, you know, and the dog can get on the floor, it's going on the floor and then in the dog's belly. Next topic. I like old Dr. Freckles. Oh boy, this news about oh, male fish becoming female. If you listen to the podcast and you know how to click on a link, there'll be a link to some notes. And in the, in the notes, there's a link to an NBCnews.com. I say news these days in the most sarcastic way possible, but this article was written by Tom Costello. And the title of the article is Male Fish Becoming Female. And I read on. It was published on November 8th, 2004. So, man, this is an old article. But a friend of mine sent it to me, so I, I thought I would read it. Researchers in Colorado have made a startling discovery. Fish, apparently male, are developing female sexual organs. Scientists believe it's the result of too much estrogen in the water, and they're finding estrogen in rivers across the country. In Colorado's rivers and streams, scientists are waist-deep in ritual of the season using electric currents to stun native fish, fuck, people suck, to the surface where they're measured and checked. But what they've discovered in the white sucker fish has gotten even veteran scientists concerned. I've done a lot of studies throughout my career, which extends back to 1973, says research associate John Woodlane. This is the very first time that what I found scared me. The fish has characteristics of both male and female, also known as a hermaphrodite, doctor, says Dr. David O. Norris of the University of Colorado at Boulder. And scientists have found lots of them in three Colorado rivers, all of them downstream from sewage treatment plants. 
in the Boulder Creek, female white suckers outnumbered males 5 to 1, and 50% of males also had female sex tissue. Researchers say the cause is too much estrogen in the water, a natural female hormone that is found in every sewer system. But also, they say, certain chemical compounds in detergents and soaps can mimic estrogen. Barbara Biggs of Denver's largest sewage plant says most of the nation's sewage plants simply can't remove all the estrogen estrogen in the water. We are concerned about the effect on aquatic life, but we're also concerned about our ability to actually treat for these estrogens and estrogen mimickers. Estrogen mimickers are believed to be caused by chemicals called non-nonylphenols found in everything from paints and rubber to cosmetics and plastic. They are considered a possible cause of kidney, eye, liver, and reproductive problems. They've been banned in much of Europe and are under review in Canada, but are still common in America where they are flowing out of sewage plants into the clean water flowing into America's rivers. Government researchers recently found natural estrogens and estrogen mimickers in 80% of the streams they tested. They tested in 30 states. We would be we would be ingesting those chemicals, would absorb them, and they would add to whatever natural hormones we already have in the body, says Dr. Norris. Thank you. Yeah, you eat things that goes in your body. Thank you, Dr. Norris. No one is certain what the impact is on humans. Well, gee, but since finding evidence that estrogen may be turning male fish into female fish, scientists are now looking at what it means for the nation's drinking water. In a state that prides itself on living in harmony with nature, this evidence says researchers of a hormonal, this is, yeah, of a hormonal imbalance. That's a really bad ending. That's a terrible ending to an article. That was Tom Costello. NBC News, 2004. Boy, that was a second ago. That was almost 20 fucking years ago. I should have checked the date on that. Who knows what the evidence is today? I don't know that it would be better or worse. I really don't know. Kind of thinking... Kind of thinking I'm going to move to the next topic because it's just another kind of crap to just worry about. You don't control. It's literal crap you don't control, and I'm not sure there's anything you can do. Um... I do think they try to stick it in there that the Europeans banned it, but does that really mean it's not getting in the water? You see, here's the thing. I'm of the opinion that the legal system, for the most part, does a really excellent job of protecting people and authority, period. That's its main goal. It does it does little side quests, and every once in a while, you end up with some heroic legal battle that's a lot like you know the movie Rocky, and you can feel like, oh, well, that's the system working, but they, they toss that to you. The system works mainly to protect power. That's what it does. And so when you see things like, well, if only we ban the chemicals. Listen, banning the chemicals will not remove them from the water. But what they will do is they will further reduce your ability to do something. Because you're going to go into your Rocky Syndrome mode and say, well, now they've banned it. But And that means it'll all be taken care of. Kind of like a Superfund site, right, for the EPA. Except what you find out is when you check out these Superfund sites... All that stolen tax money went to flyers to hand out to, you know, um, you know, basically people that 
go fishing in rivers and the flyers tell them in multiple languages don't eat the crabs that's basically what you're paying for with the epa you think it's getting fixed it's not getting fixed okay they're just going to hand out flyers telling people from malaysia and vietnam don't eat the crabs and the duwamish that's what they're going to do next topic Another quote from Dr. Freckles, it's not confidence, it's certainty. It's not confidence, it's certainty. What does that mean? Well, I think some people can mistake confidence or pride or even hubris when it's really just a certainty. And I don't mean a certainty about outcomes. Nobody controls outcomes except for God. And when it comes to people, God gave us free will. So even though the Lord controls the outcomes, we have a lot of control. We do. And so there's really no way to guarantee the outcome. If you're looking for a magical ethical system based upon guaranteed outcomes, go knock on the door of Mr. and Mrs. Trolley problem. Ask them, okay, to give you the magical tools. I'm not going to. not going to. I live in the real world, and the real world, things like the trolley problem and Hanlon's razor are both absurd and fucking useless in the real world. In fantasy lands, at some fucking university, you could spend all day talking about the fucking trolley problem. In the real world, we actually have to solve problems. But, you know, hey, whatever, right? It's not confidence, it's certainty. If someone says to me, Dan... You got nothing. This is true. I got nothing. Dan, you currently don't have a job. That's true. I'm between jobs. I'm looking for one right now. That's true. Dan, your your wife dumped you. You couldn't even keep a marriage together. That's true. I actually fucked that up. And yet, I've had people ask me, why are you so confident about the way you're living? Well, it is the certainty that there's a God. And it's also the certainty, and this is something that happened to me years ago, and it's both related and unrelated to my Christianity, I came to the realization a decade ago that all that stuff about saving money for retirement and, you know, there's going to be this future as long as you obey, obey and pay your taxes, I dropped all that shit a decade ago. Yeah, for the last couple years of my marriage, I did the kabuki dance, I pretended, but I dropped it. And frankly, 20 years ago, I came pretty close to dropping it, but then I fell in love. And man, love makes you do really stupid shit. Um, I wrote a, a story in 2015 called Retirement. And it, it's, I guess I would call it, you know, kind of semi-autobiographical. I don't know that you would enjoy it. I'm not even sure you could find it on Amazon. Is it on Amazon? Yes, it is. But could you find it there? I have no fucking clue. All right. If you go to Amazon.com and type in Daniel John Sullivan or Daniel Sullivan and the word retirement, you might get a link. I know that if you go to my PDF archive on my website, you will find, you know, a PDF from 2015, and I'll leave it up to you to find it, called retirement. And the one of the one of the um, one of the themes of the story is this general acknowledgement that a lot of people were living pointless lives according to the main character. Like a lot of people had faith in things, believed in things, invested in things that the main character believed were either non-existent or were, were, were going to become non-existent. And one of the things the main character believes, and I believed as well 10 years ago, 
is that all this crap about social security and peace and love in your retirement, it was always bullshit. It was always a pyramid scheme, and at some point it was going to fail. So the character decides, and I don't think this is a terrible idea, to live the end of whatever life he was going to have as his ideal, as his ideal life. And, is it, and, and if his ideal life is to work for six or seven months out of the year and play video games and drink beer and use marijuana for the rest of the year, guess what? It's his or her ice cream cone. It's their life. They get to use it how the fuck they want to. All right? There is nothing that says you're only a good person if you end up getting a bunch of degrees. Nothing. Christ did, you know what? Christ would have left us with the message that said, you're only going to make it to heaven if you achieve someone else's definition of success. No. No. I don't think Christ would have would have sucker punched us existentially in that way. That's some other kind of crap. It's not confidence, it's certainty. All right, it's not. I I am not confident that I will be able to live this life and I'm not confident how much more life there is to live, but this is what I'm certain of. If I wait around for a magical retirement, I will wait around forever and a day and it will never happen. And if you're going to try to say, well, what about all the old people in the facilities? I've been to those facilities. If you want that for yourself and you want that for your mom or dad, that is your business. Okay, that's that you go down that road. But to me, that way of spending the last years of your life seems fucking terrible. It seems isolated. It seems grotesquely abstract. And it doesn't seem like the way you treat a fucking human being. But it's what happened, right? Right? You know, all you wanted was your cheap gallon of gasoline. All you wanted was your cheeseburger. Did you really fucking care how it was all going to be made? Did you care what kind of society was going to develop around you? Here's the deal. I'm not that confident. I am simply certain that I have, there is no such thing as retirement at this point, if there ever was. And if you're currently in the retirement world, that world is going to come to an end. All right? Social Security is over. Medicare, Medicaid is over. The United States government is over. This is not Berlin 1933. This is Berlin 45. You got a crazy person in the White House. Guess what? You had a crazy person in the bunker back then. That's where you're at in the game. And, and, if, and if you're spreading the fear of some Nazi super state because what you're really afraid of is your government check is going to end, shut the fuck up. That's your fucking psychological problem. You're getting a government check. Great. As long as you get it, use it. But what I'm saying is it's probably not going to last. Sorry. I'm not that confident, but I am certain that this system is in collapse. And I am certain there's a Lord in heaven. And I'm also certain that every person you ever met is going to die. Every single one. Including me. We're all going to die. I'm certain of all those things. Next topic. Oh boy, another quote from Dr. Freckles. Necessity is a motherfucker. <laughs> and I'm not even sure that's original. I think probably other people have said something similar. We, we, we always, you know, we hear that necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah, but necessity is a motherfucker too. Listen, in the book Retirement, the main character, and it's, I think I wrote it in the first person, but the main character, you know, points out that Yes, you got to work. You, you need money to pay for rent, to pay for food, to pay for beer, to pay for weed. So 
however much longer the weird, ridiculous reality he was living in was going to last, there were things he had to do to be able to get what he wanted from the system. That is necessity, all right? I really wish there was a way for me to make a living doing this podcast. And in 2020, early 2020, like January, I was pretty close. I was pulling in about half of what I needed at the time to be able to just podcast. And listen, that's probably not your dream. It's what I wanted to do. I don't need your definition of success, motherfucker. I really, really don't, especially at this point. Necessity's a motherfucker. But also, you can flaunt necessity. You can stick your finger at it. You can look at consequence and say, fuck you. You can do it. You're capable. So next topic. So I am between jobs, but I am currently going to start interviewing here in a week. And in the last few weeks, because a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine, and I pointed this out and I'll point out again, the Lord in heaven has been kind to me in recent years. And a lot of people that I had never met, I met, and they became really great friends. I've made I've made some really good friends. And so if you want to know, did, has your podcast done anything good? I don't know if it's done anything good for anyone else. I can only speak for me. Um, it's, it's connected me with other people, and it's allowed me to accept the possibility that even if I'm a little bit crazy, I'm not totally crazy. And there are other people kind of crazy like me in the sense that they no longer believe what they're told. Okay, you can call it losing faith in institutions. You know what I would love? I would love people to gain faith in things that are a little bit more important than institutions, like their family, like the people they're supposed to love and care for, like their children. Have faith and care for those things. The fucking institutions are out to fuck you. Anyways, but, you know, like the whole necessity thing, I got to work. I got to pay for food and beer and weed and rent. And, you know, my rent isn't super steep, but I need to pay it because you know, I'm living someplace and I'm living with people I care about. You know, you got you to gotta come up with some resources. But my friend recommended something um, to me about a month ago where he suggested something as a tool he wanted to do shortwave radio. He wanted a note-taking tool that allowed him to put a note on a map, you know, to put a note there and connect it to a location so he could keep track of his shortwave radio contacts. And I thought, okay, because this the th first thought that occurred to me is this reminds me of something I was going to build when I used to give a shit. And what I can tell you, and this is kind of good news, I've written a lot of code in the last couple couple weeks. Um a lot of PHP, a lot of JavaScript, some HTML. And I won't say it's the most elegant code ever. And 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 some of it was just finding stuff. Like there was this guy that had an implementation of the AES standard symmetric algorithm, 256-bit um, encryption. It's not super great encryption, but I wanted to put the tool into the application. So if you're going to post a message, you have the option of encrypting it. 
And you know, the application's still being built. There's some finishing touches I need to make for version one. So I wouldn't call it ready for the public yet. And maybe that's in a couple weeks, but I'm proud of it. And I'm proud of the fact that I, I'm, I can still write code. And I'm proud of the fact that I haven't completely given up. I haven't. One of the mistakes a person might get from reading that book, Retirement, is that it's about nihilism. It's really not. It's about the pigeons in a B.F. Skinner cage that simply went in the corner and committed suicide. It's about the people that said no. You'll never hear about their names, by the way. And that really famous poem about they first came for these people, they never mention who they actually come for first, and it's the anarchists. Fuck you. Uh, yeah, but there are lots of people throughout history who have said no. You'll never know their names. You will never hear about them. They were burned. They were destroyed. Their bodies were dumped someplace. But they looked at authority. They looked at a crooked king or a crooked queen and said, fuck you. You will never see a cenotaph to their name anywhere. You'll see tons and tons of statues to all kinds of fucking creepy people. But the people who told the system the fuck itself, you'll never see a statue. And yet these are often the people that end up changing the fucking world. And I'm not claiming to be one of them, although I endeavor each day to be like them. Not to be a martyr, not to be a sacrifice or a slave, but to be the one thing the system doesn't want you to be, and that is to be free. I'm not confident. I wake up some days and look in the mirror and I say, you're 52 years old, you're covered in groton, you're, you smell bad, you look bad. I am not confident, but I am certain. For the same reason I wrote this code the last few weeks, for the same reason I both do not prejudge, but I do await, you know, Christ's return, I am certain. I am certain the things of the world that they told you to have faith in are mostly garbage. I am certain the stuff they're trying to scare you with today is mostly garbage. I am not certain that there is nothing to be concerned about. I will tell you straight up, right now, from my perspective, and I've said this in every podcast, you have a 50-50 choice at this point for the future of this country and probably the whole world. We are either looking at the ridiculous, bizarre, and absurd collapse of the U.S. American empire. And that could be it. Because I'm getting a lot of information about all these weird logistics stories to include the fucking trucker thing in Canada. And a lot of it looks like cover. It, it does. It looks like cover for an empire in collapse. So it's either that at this point, or it's incredibly worse. So the, and guess what? If it's worse, option A is baked into the cake. Okay, if it's worse than the collapse of the empire, I can promise you the empire is so sclerotic, so broken. Your federal government is so broken at this point that we are very close to situations developing where they can't fix it. Okay, they're not going to be able to help you. They won't be able to fly in with their helicopters. We are very close to the point where the system is going to face something it can't fix. And when that happens, when that loss of confidence happens, and that's what it will be, it won't be about certainty, it'll be about confidence. But when that lack of confidence happens, and believe me, it's already, I think, happening, that's what's left. The only thing keeping this crooked system alive is a lot of slaves who need to believe it has to be alive. And I'm telling you, it doesn't. I'm telling you, it can't be, it won't be. Every empire throughout history has collapsed. I'm sorry. 
the secret destiny of every government, every empire, every king, every queen, the secret destiny of every cult leader, every manipulator, is that they come to an end. They do. They die. Sometimes they're murdered. Sometimes empires are destroyed. But all of these crooked schemes for manipulating people come to an end. If COVID was remotely true, remotely true, you wouldn't need to convince people to take a vaccine. If COVID was remotely true, you wouldn't need to convince me. I would have seen it in Little Saigon, Seattle in 2020. I would have seen evidence of the Great Plague. The only thing I saw evidence of was mind-fucking. I saw lots of construction that never stopped. I saw lots of commies, fake commies, marching up and down 12th Avenue. I saw a Washington State National Guard emergency hospital set up for three weeks and then torn down, okay, almost immediately. But I saw zero fucking evidence of anything that would remotely justify what's been done. Anything. You know why a lot of crooked people out there need to believe this shit, if I can go off another tangent? Because it's like what I said earlier. They need their gimmies. They need to believe in the Federal Reserve because the Federal Reserve keeps their house flipping game going. They need to believe in the federal government because the federal government sends in their fucking Medicare, their fucking Social Security, right? They need to believe because they served in the military for 20 years and they're getting 50% after 20 and they were promised they would get that check until they died. I could have told them in 1996, even as naive as I was then, taking the oath to serve, I could have told them that's bullshit. I could have told them that was a fucking lie. But they need to believe it. They need to believe. They need to believe that their pension will always get paid. They need to believe the checks will always get in the mail. They need to believe that there will be a Federal Reserve there to enable their house flipping game, to enable their crooked banking. But I'm telling you, whatever you fucking believe, and this is especially true if you don't believe in God, but whatever you believe, whether you believe in God or not, the stuff of this world, this crooked fallen world, this non-Eden world, all this shit falls apart. All of it. All of it does. And governments are designed to explode. Okay? Eventually. Yeah, you don't see it because you see slow motion. But I promise you, if you could speed up the map of human history, you would see pop, 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 and a lot of fucking damage. And a lot of wreckage. So yeah, I've been writing code. And in a way, this is me stuck at my Kubler-Ross scale. I am still 50 feet above, above the ground. Maybe it's 40 feet. I am still at, a, at an altitude above the ground that if I don't fall the right way, I'm going to get very badly injured. Maybe I'm only 10 or 20 feet. I don't know. Most of the people I know are a couple hundred thousand feet up still living in fantasy land. Their crash is going to be epically terrible and they probably won't make it. But the reality is I've been writing this code and doing this work because I enjoy it. I enjoy it because it is kind of connected, I think, to a feasible future for myself and potentially my future business partner and my friend. It's a feasible possibility that we could help people communicate using radio and technology that we're able to keep going for a while. 
And if you're able to do it for a while, and if you've listened to the podcast that Jim and I did a, a week or so ago, if you can keep it going long enough, maybe we can fix these problems, but have a freer country afterwards, who knows? All right? So I'm working on this project, and, we, and I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, one thing I can tell you, it's the first site I've ever been on where I can ship post and I'm not getting banned, but that's probably because I created it. The other thing, too, is weird about it is it's no login. You don't need to log in. But it also is weird because you share essentially the same account and it surrounds your IP address. Um, so it's weird. And the encryption makes it extra weird. And, if you, and, and the thing is, you could be on any computer and get a message out there. So if someone was in trouble, well, I don't have my phone. I don't have a computer. Well, find a computer open up a browser, you go to this application, you don't need to log in, just leave a note. Better yet, you can leave an encrypted note. And I don't know how good the encryption is, but I'm certain some person's gonna say to me, well, Dan, this can be decrypted in two or three days. Well, great, if you have that computer, go ahead and do it. But if a person's life or death scenario is measured in minutes and hours rather than days, then this kind of encryption could be very useful. I don't know. We'll see. It's happening in the browser. It's an algorithm that I properly reference uh, in the applications. You know who built the code. Again, it might just be a toy. We'll see. But um, the main message here is, is I'm trying not to trying not to completely give up in any way. It's not about giving up. I'm just trying to, to do the things I think are useful. Maybe that's another way of putting it. I, there are many things I could do right now to make money that are not useful, that are not going to help anybody and could even make the situation worse. Uh, anything I do in healthcare would be basically supporting a system that I think is crooked and needs to fall apart. The entire healthcare system needs to go to the fucking ground at this point. The doctors have failed you, okay? I, I've said this before, the journalists, the, here's the people that have failed you. Here are all the estates. The journalists have failed you. The, the preachers and the ministers have failed you. The lawyers have definitely fucking failed you with respect to, to any sense of a Bill of Rights at this point. Um... And the healthcare systems failed you in a big way, in a, in a very, very fundamental way. All of our lives have been violated by an institution that supposedly was out there to help us, to first do no harm. Supposedly first doing no harm was a principle of healthcare at some point. What it is now, I have no idea. Um, but all of these institutions have failed you. And they're still failing you. And if you were hoping that an institution was going to protect you, Brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian and you were hoping an institution was going to save you, if Christ had, had wanted us to know this, he would have left a note. He would have said, have faith in institutions, have faith in the Pharisees, have faith in all these people that say they've been around forever, ergo they should be around forever. Don't worry about how they also say on the other side of their mouth, oh, that old statue, we need to tear it down. Ignore that. That's thinking. They don't want you to think. Just have faith in institutions. If Christ had felt the path to a good life was having undying blind faith in institutions, he would have left a fucking note. And if you can say, well, he did, he left Romans. No. Romans was about living in the fucking Soviet Union. 
Okay, if you're living in the Soviet Union, here's some good fucking advice for a Christian. Romans was not what you think it was. It wasn't some blanket, you know, accept your government and obey. If that's how you read Romans, you read it wrong. And your preacher read it wrong. And I stick by that. If Christ wanted us to have blind faith in institutions, he would have left a note. I think Christ questioned institutions questioned institutions to the point that he was willing to sit down with a tax collector and sit down with centurions. Why could he do this? Because he was beyond the institutional bullshit. He didn't care about the centurion. He cared about the person. He didn't care about the tax collector. He cared about the person. He didn't care about the hooker or the pimp or the nasty fisherman that lived down by the wharf. He cared about their souls. He didn't care about what status they had. You know, were they great and known people? Did they fit the definition of success in the first century AD? No, Christ didn't care about that because that had nothing to do with what was important. And that was who they were, you know, who they were, their souls, their spirits. He was all the things we know that Christ was and Christ was a minister and a teacher. I think he hoped we would learn our lessons, but pff, come on, guys. Human beings learning lessons, that's the first lesson you learn is that we mostly don't. And if you want to keep learning as a human being, the first rule is, and Dr. Freckles has said this many times, but the first rule of learning is don't die. You know, that is the first rule. It sucks, but it's true. Next topic. <laughs> So, and this is related to the programming. This is related to the programming. This is related to the project. This is related to conversations I've had with my friend here in Utah and other friends. And I think it's probably common for a lot of you folks out there between the ages of 30 and 60. I would say that 30-year range, a lot of you folks out there might identify. If you're in your, if you're in your 20s and you got all those estrogens and you're, you're doing all kinds of crazy whatever you are doing, I don't know. Fine. You don't need, you, maybe you don't think about this because you're kind of in your own private Idaho. But if you're between the ages of roughly 30 and 60, you might feel this way right now. And, and, and this is probably the way people have felt throughout history. If you lived during the period of time, the middle of the 14th century, it would have seemed like the end of the world, but it wasn't. If you've lived around the time of the French Revolution in Western Europe, it may have seemed like everything was coming to an end. And in a way it was, but it wasn't the end of the world, you know. And if you've lived in these junctures, these periods of time, I you know, call them a discontinuity because it's what I've been calling this thing on one level since... 2019, before the monkey herpes even showed up, I called it the great discontinuity. Another way of thinking of it is history, but it's boiling. You've reached the boiling temperature. If you've lived at these points in history, um, you might feel like you're stuck between two different worlds. You do. It's like the question that you know I tried to answer when I wrote the book Retirement. How do you do that? How do you live between the world that is coming, like a freight, fucking freight train, and it is. If, if you don't see the light up ahead, you know, I'd say God bless and good luck, but um, it's, it's coming at you like a freight train. 
The world we've been in is totally dysfunctional. And I don't just mean that in the sense that it's bad. I mean in the sense of mathematics and physics and engineering. The world we've been in is falling apart because it was never designed to last. You know, you can't, you can't do what they've been doing forever and they basically shot their wad. But it still peters along. You still look at the stock market and it's up or it's down. You still check your Bitcoin. And yeah, Bitcoin's down right now, but it, it could go up again. You check the price of gasoline. You check the price of everything. You check to make sure there's chicken at the store. You still got to go to work to buy the chicken. <laughs> but if you're like me and you're, you're doing all these things, but you're also kind of like me, you suspect that all that is very soon going to end in a way that could be brutal. So brutal that people would rather believe nasty-ass gaslighting bullshit that is destroying them and the people they care about. They'd rather believe psyops than even remotely come to understand the simple fact that everybody dies and every single government in history has collapsed. Sorry, did, I, did, I, did you not learn these things when you were 12? Did you not? Did you not have a teacher, a mother, a father who taught you everybody, everything dies? This is not Eden, brothers and sisters. And this is also not Ray Kurzweil's singularity future. This is called reality. And a lot of folks right now probably feel the way I do, caught between two worlds. And, and I don't mean the multiverse. I don't believe in that crap. But I do mean stuck between the world that is right now, and it is. And it is brutal, and it is grotesque, and it is operating the way it is, this current you know, kind of kleptocratic re reality that is coming to an end, but you still got to live in this world. But the world that's coming for a lot of people is going to be so radically different that I don't think they're equipped. I mean, that's why I think they need to believe. They have to believe this crap. The learned helplessness is so deep in the American psyche at this point for so many people, they can't even conceive that they have a chance to survive. And that's the other thing I want to point out. Just because a government collapses does not mean the world is over. Remember, if Christ had believed, if Christ had known, if Christ thought that we needed to have an absolute faith in any one particular government or we were going to hell, he would have left a note. Okay? It's not about institutions. If you've connected your faith in God to the United States government, you have made a serious fucking mistake. And believe me, you wouldn't be alone. Throughout American history, there have been many people who have connected God to this government. Believe me when I say this. There might be some lowercase God connected to this government, but the one and only God is not. I don't think the Lord in heaven gives a fuck about any particular government on earth. And I don't think the Lord in heaven cares at all who wins what war. I think Jesus is pretty certain that the net effect of war is death and destruction. The only right thing to do is not do it. The second best thing to do is put a stop to it. Okay? If you, if you can't, if you couldn't, you know, stop the war from happening, do what you can to put it to, you know, to end it, basically. If Christ had believed that some government should fight wars to win control of the world in order, in order to fulfill the kingdom life, he would have left a note saying, make sure you build massive armies and take over everything. Believe me, a lot of Christians got it wrong. You know, because they were told wrong by people they had faith in. Not God, they had faith in the Pope. A lot of Popes told people bullshit. 
You're good Christians fighting bad people. Ergo, God is behind you. That was a lie. The Crusades were a giant mindfuck and a total fucking lie. There was no righteous side. It was about power. It's about Rome. Not about God. I feel like I'm living in two worlds right now. A world where I'm going to interview for programming jobs. And, and I... <laughs> I don't know. And, 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 and hopefully, you know, and I'll get a job and, and I'll make money to buy the things I need and want until this wretched sham comes to an end. And if it doesn't come to an end, if it just keeps on going like this, like some slowly dying beast lumbering through the swamp, fine. Fine. Okay? Lumbering beast goes on like this. I made my choice years ago. The great thing about being an anarchist is that once you figure out that you are one and you have your reasons for knowing why you're one, you also know this. You never have to vote again. You never have to pretend again. The government is an institution you have to live with. You don't have to have faith in it or participate in any, you know, participate in it in any way whatsoever. I don't need any of you in Normie land. Any of you. I don't need family members. I don't need anyone to tell me or give me permission to be free ever again. That's not confidence. That's certainty. You don't need my permission to live your life. Did you know that? You don't need the government's permission to live your life. Did you fucking know that? You don't need a piece of paper telling you you're, you're, you're free. Okay, freedom is not a gift you get from the government. Did anyone not tell you that? In fact, I'm pretty certain Many places in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, one of my favorites, 1 Samuel chapter 8, I'm pretty certain God left some breadcrumbs basically saying, if you're going to have faith in me, great, but you can't really have faith in these other institutions and have faith in me. You got to choose your God. And if you've chosen man, any man, any woman as your God, you failed. Not least of which because... God is eternal, but there is no chunk of flesh outside of Eden that won't turn into a pile of dust. That is inevitable. So you put your faith in something that's going to just end. I think it's better to put your faith in God. That's just me. That's how you deal with the two worlds, man. The world to come and the world we're in. I think that very, very soon a lot of people will see their tables tipped over and it won't be stagflation, all right? They, they really mind-fucked a lot of you, okay? It, it, they're giving you scenarios now to keep you under control, to keep you believing, well, but they'll come up with some solution. You put your faith in the wrong thing because you put your faith in people who are mostly sociopaths and really don't give a shit about you. How do you, how do you live in two worlds? Don't ask for permission to live. You don't need Anthony Fauci's permission to live. That's a good step, isn't it? Give up on his permission. Fuck him. Fuck Bill Gates. You don't need Bill Gates' permission. Fuck Alan Dershowitz. If he says something crooked like, well, according to the Constitution, stop there, Alan. Fuck you. I'm an anarchist. I don't need a piece of paper to know that I am free. I know that I am free. And I also know that all you can do is kill me or imprison me, but you will never make me your slave. That's pretty cool when you think about it. 
because it means I never have to participate in another crooked political process for the rest of my fucking life, ever. I don't have to play pretend. I don't have to waste energy on pointless things. That's another way to survive through this transition. Don't waste your time on crap. And I gotta say, most of the stuff that the internet and the government will tell you you, you need, you don't, okay? You don't need some Amazon gizmo to teach your kid. You need to teach your kid, and you don't have to buy something to do that. You can do that. You always had the power to mentor and teach your children. Did you know that? Did you know they took away things for reasons that had nothing to do with helping you? Did you know they took away your power? And, and you never had to give it away. And guess what? They don't really have it. All your power exists in one word. And it's been this one word throughout most of history, perhaps all of history. The word is no. You can say no. If they tell you to put on a mask or two or three, you can say no. If they tell you to take some concoction that Big Pharma came up with in some light speed way, you can say no to that bullshit. You have a right to say no. Now, they can send thugs and they can point guns at you all fucking day. Newsflash, they were always going to do that. They were always going to treat you like crap. Just because you were the last one in line doesn't mean they haven't been practicing. Many a dead Native American from Wounded Knee, if they could rise from the grave, would explain to you, this government has been fucking people since the beginning. They just didn't get around to you yet. Now they have. How do you live in these two worlds? I don't have a good answer. But I can say this. Put your effort to things that are meaningful and make you happy, okay? And that's always been true. Put your effort towards people and family and kindness. That's always been true. Know the difference between kindness and communism. That has always been a good thing to know, the difference between those two things. Understand that there are institutions that you should have never had faith in. If you served in the military and you got a military pension, God bless you. What I'm telling you is take the check, but understand that check is probably going, it's going to go away in one of two ways. It's either going to be inflated away to nothing, which I don't think the system has the time for, or the system's simply going to fail and that check isn't going to show up. Along with the electricity, along with the oil, along with a lot of food in the grocery stores, depending upon where you live. It's just going to stop. There's going to be no graceful degradation. There's going to be no stagflation. There's not even going to be hyperinflation, probably. That is wishful fucking thinking. This is not Berlin 1933. I keep telling people this. This is Berlin 1945, you fucker. And, and you are scared that the person that abuses, maybe not you, you think, but that the person that abuses a lot of fuckers to make sure you get your fucking pension check, you're scared that it's not going to be there any longer. So you're coming up with theories in your head about how it can keep on going. Get out of that, okay? Get over it. That check is going to stop working at some point. What you can do is take the money you get from that check right now and use it to something that could, you know, help you in the future. Like having extra food on hand, you know, six to 12 months, 
makes a lot of sense at this point for your whole family. Take that money and build yourself some protection. If you got a little extra money, get yourself some property outside the cities. These cities, like the governments that they believe in, were never designed to do anything but fail. There are things you can do. But if you're going to spend time fear-mongering because you're too afraid to accept the possibility that your pension check won't show up, huh, like I said, some of us are 10 feet above the ground at this point. And, and, and we still can get broken bones. The fact that I spent the last few weeks writing a lot of code means I'm still about 10 feet above the ground. Maybe. But a lot of you fuckers are 100, 200 feet up, and if you don't change your perspective very soon... You just won't make it to the other world. Okay? Last topic, and it's a bit of a doozy. Um, and I know this has been a long podcast. I saved this for last for a couple reasons. Number one, um, I talk about my life, but to the extent that I can talk about my life, I try not to talk about people in my family too specifically because their life is their fucking business. I can tell you that the monkey herpes has hurt a lot of things and it's hurt a lot of family relationships. And once again, it didn't have to happen. It didn't have to be this way. There were choices made. They weren't your choices. One of the things a lot of you fuckers are going to have to learn to do is forgive yourself because a lot of you were mind fucked on purpose. Okay, let's just leave that. My cousin, Michael Sullivan, died a few days ago. Um, I say a few days ago because I don't like thinking about it too much. I'm going to read something, then we'll talk about it. This is coming from the Emory website. There's a link in the notes. Um, my cousin taught philosophy there at, the, at, at Emory University in Atlanta, or near Atlanta, I think, in Atlanta. He taught there for many years. Uh, he was a tenured professor, which if you don't know much about teaching in universities, getting tenure is a big deal. Um, I remember, I think it was 2000, I want to say it was 2006. I believe it was. I went to visit him at Emory. It seems like a billion years ago. And it, I think that was right around the time he got tenure. And it was like one of those big deals. Like, it, And it was a big deal. It is a big deal. Um, pretty cool deal. So what I'm about to read you is on the Emory University website. Michael Sullivan, our dear colleague and friend, died on January 31st, 2022, after a brief illness unrelated to COVID. A gifted teacher and mentor to a generation of Emory students, his loss is grievous and heartbreaking. Michael came to Emory in 2000 after completing a PhD in philosophy at Vanderbilt and a JD, a law degree, at Yale. His research and teaching focused on issues in the philosophy of law, ranging from the justice of mandatory sentencing to the intricacies of constitutional theory, with a particular focus on judicial review and its potential counter-majoritarian character. He approached these issues from the standpoint of Dewey and pragmatism which he defended against critics in Legal Pragmatism, a book he wrote and published in 2007. But he also resisted what he took to be overly thin applications of pragmatism to the law, most prominently in Can Pragmatism Be Radical, a piece co-authored with Daniel Solov, 
which appeared in the Yale Law Journal. As a teacher, Michael loved teaching Philosophy 115, Ethics, and Philosophy 321, Philosophy of Law, which prepared a generation of Emory students for law school through its careful attention to case law in the context of legal theory. A demanding teacher with a fine nose for argument, students were drawn to the standards of excellence that he expected all of us to meet. Michael is survived by his partner, Lee Wei, their son, John John Sullivan, his mother, Margaret, his cousin, Mary, and many other cousins, as well as several loving friends. No funerals expected, but the department will host a memorial service. Please look to the department's webpage for information about that event. Um, I am very critical of the legal system at this point. I'm an anarchist, so I, I can't pretend to say that I, I appreciate the law in any way. I don't. Um, but I will talk about Michael. He is one of the most brilliant people I've ever met. Um, and I had the good luck to meet him at different points in his life. We weren't super good friends. I spoke to him a few months ago, and looking back, I probably was a bit more terse than I should have been. I don't know. Terse, stern, grumpy, ranty, who knows? You know, one of the reasons why I turned my phone off and I prefer to talk to you tomorrow, and when I say you, I mean the general you, is because if you talk to me today, chances are you're going to hear something you don't want to hear. So it's better to talk to you tomorrow, right? Um, but the times I've met Michael and I've talked to him and we've had conversations, we've had a lot of really great conversations. And I don't know what he really felt about me. I got to say it's not really an issue. What I do know is that he was a really good man. He was intellectually brave, which is a rare thing these days. And, and you know, the thing about argument is that part of argument is being willing to entertain a position that you don't agree with. And even though I think he had beliefs, you know, around the world he lived in that were fairly strong, I think he had some of those, he was willing to look at perspectives, a lot of different perspectives, even his crazy cousin, Dan. And I have had uh, an evolving perspective most of my life. I started out someplace way back when as one of these small government Republicans. And what you find out, and I've talked about this before, is every time you get off the train, you find out that the people are going the wrong direction, so you get back on the train. And then eventually you find out that the distance between libertarian and anarchist is a lot like crossing that border, you know, between East and West Berlin during the Cold War. It's a dash. You got to run, but it's there. It's right there in the distance. And once I got there, I was done. I, I understood at least one part of my life, and that was I did not have to waste any more time on the system. Doesn't mean I wasn't going to avoid it. It's why I call it the crocodile. But you know, you learn to live with the crocodile, and then you notice something. The crocodile might be dying. It might be going away. And, I, and when I say crocodile, I mean the system. Michael was willing to talk to me at various points in my own journey, and he never really treated me like I was stupid. Um, you know, sometimes I think he got annoyed with my perspectives because... I think he noticed a level of certainty at times that he thought was inappropriate. And he might have been correct. I don't know. What I can tell you, though, is that 
the world needs people like Michael. It is sad for so many reasons that he is gone. It is sad that he's gone because when I was a kid and when Michael was a kid, we'd watch that Jetson show. And in the future, like Ray Kurzweil would say later, right? And he invented, you know, speech processing software, so he must know everything. Yeah, when I was a kid, we were told. We were shown movies, okay? The future, Star Wars, space travel, 2001, the Jetsons cartoon. You remember the Jetsons? What a fucking mindfuck that was. I don't remember seeing one person in that show spending their whole day staring at a fucking screen. I saw people flying around. I saw a push-button reality. I saw a future where people seemed happy. I didn't see people staring at screens all day. So what the fuck happened to that future we were promised is a good question, right? When we were kids, when Michael was a kid, we imagined a future that was very different from this one. I think we both did. I'm certain of it. And I think that was one of the things that I'm sure Michael had to come to grips with as an adult, just like the rest of us. That when you're a kid, you're often fed a lot of crap. It doesn't have to be that way, but it often is that way. And in our society, man, kids are fed a lot of crap. I think Michael did the best he could. And probably, not probably, Michael did an amazing job. And in his time teaching, he did a lot of good work to reverse a lot of the damage that society does. I'm certain of that. I am certain that he helped students become a little bit more critical of their reality. And I am certain that he helped to give them the tools to understand their reality. And if that's not a great definition of a great philosopher, I don't know what is. A great philosopher helps you avoid the lies. A great philosopher helps you out of the darkness. A great philosopher will help you and give you a map to find your way through the wilderness of bad ideas. And believe me, we live in a wilderness of really terrible fucking ideas. So Michael's going to be missed, but the impact he had, it's here. He, he did, with his ice cream cone, which is so difficult to do, in my opinion... He did with his life what very few of us ever figure out. He, had, he set a course. He had a set of goals. He did good, and I think he was happy as, as much as you can be. I mean, especially these days. I don't know. I mean, I never really asked him the question, are you happy? But I'm pretty certain that in his way, he lived the life he wanted to live. And if that's not the definition of success, I don't know what is. So yeah, Michael's going to be missed. There are a lot of young people that won't be able to be exposed to his wisdom, to his mentoring, to his, in a way, even though I think he might not have been very religious, to his ministry. Because he did do the one thing that I think Christ wants us all to do. He avoided the lukewarm life. He could have gone, he could have been a lawyer and made a bazillion dollars. He could have. He could have gone to Wall Street, New York City, Chicago. He could have ended up in the courts. He could have been one of those people on a list, the list you have. Who's going to be on the Supreme Court? He could have lived a life of power and success, and from one really distorted angle, that can look really hot and really cool. But from Christ's perspective, that's just lukewarm. Instead, Michael chose to be a great teacher. 
and a great philosopher. He chose to live a pretty amazing life. He probably met some of the smartest people that ever lived. In his life, he was given an ice cream cone, and in my opinion, he finished it. Now, I would think it would be better if he was around another 50 years. I do. I think it would be better if he was still here to be with his mother. That's absolutely the case. But if you're going to ask me, what do you say at this point, other than we're going to miss him and he was taken too soon? Other than that, you can say this. He did it. Yeah, he was taken too soon, but he still did it. He left a mark. He left a mark on probably more than one generation of kids who became adults while they were in his classes, and he left a mark that's going to keep going. There are ideas in their heads, maybe a few bad ones, but probably mostly good ones, that these people will take for the rest of their lives with them on their journey, and if they do the right kind of thing, and if they really learn from Michael, they will teach others. They will become teachers. They will take the wisdom that Michael gave them and they will pass it on. If you want to know how we make it through this, it's really simple. We have to know the difference between the things that matter and the things that don't. And I say it's simple, but in some ways that is the most difficult fucking question in the world. What matters? The truth is I spent the last four weeks writing a bunch of code because it mattered to me to help a friend. It mattered to me to do something. And I found out that I could still do it and I still enjoyed it if I was working on something of substance. And doing something for a friend has way more spiritual weight for me than writing some kind of crooked code to make some crooked person a little bit more crooked money before all the crookedness runs out. If I had a choice between helping a friend and doing crooked bullshit, I'd rather help a friend. Doesn't mean there's not necessity. Doesn't mean we, we don't have a day job. It doesn't mean that I get to avoid interviewing in the next couple weeks. It just means that I would rather at this point and this is my personal choice, focus on things that make me happy and matter and maybe increase the joy and happiness of people around me if I'm able to, I'd rather take the little bit of precious attitude I have and focus it on that. The rest of it's focused on the beer and the weed and the music and the disconnecting. And I'll forgive myself every day, especially after 2020, for that, for that conceit, for that error, for that sin. But when I am not drinking beer or vaping weed or listening to music, I would rather have the energy and the effort to do things of value. Michael did things of value. Michael did things that made him happy. And I think he was happy to the extent that any person can be happy in this world. And he's going to be missed, you know? You guys don't know him. You never, you know... Okay, so I did debate in high school, and so did Michael. And there was this one anecdote someone told me once about him. When he would do impromptu, and if you don't know, impromptu and extemporaneous speaking are these individual competitive speaking events. Impromptu, you get like a couple topics, maybe a quote, whatever, on a piece of paper, maybe a word. And you get like, you get a total, like the role change for me was you get like three or four minutes total you could use any of that time for preparation and the rest for the speech. But you get a total of three or four minutes. So usually you spend about 30 seconds thinking about the topic and then just start right in. And the story they told me about Michael is that he 
he had this one penchant for using the same um, quote over and over again, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. And <laughs> and I don't know, looking back, at the time when this dude told me this, I thought, well, that sounds like Michael. I mean, he, he, it's funny and it's and it's it's the kind of thing he would do because he sees well he saw and you know he understood the world in many different ways even when he was young and i think he saw the game inside the game like there's the competition of the public speaking but then there's the real game of doing something that you know it's a little bit outside of the ordinary um he was one of those kinds of people that if you were convinced you were right, he would try to spend a little bit of time at least testing you. Like if you were convinced you were right about something, he would be the person that would ask the question. I would even say this. He's one of those people who, who you know, it doesn't strictly fit into the category, but he's one of those people who would at least try to teach you how to say no. Like, like if someone's trying to tell you you have to do something... I think Michael would be one of those people that would give you the tools to at least look at what they're asking for. And you might still comply, I don't know. If they tell you to put on eight masks, you might still do it. But then you might also just say no. You know, no, I'm not going to do this. This is crazy. This is stupid. This is harmful. This literally contradicts everything I was taught in school about biology. No, I'm not going to do it. It's sad that more people weren't willing to say no at first, but... Yeah, Michael was the kind of guy that would test you. And it was the kind of testing that, yeah, was sarcastic. And yeah, sometimes maybe it was needling. But in some ways, maybe it was just kind of helpful, you know. Michael's going to be missed. Michael's going to be missed. This has been a kind of a long podcast, and uh, partly because of, yeah... I've been writing the code, and then this last week I've been thinking a lot about Michael because he was dying, and now he's dead. And before I continue, I want to rant about something else, too, because I don't know. In the last couple of years, a lot of healthcare people have been deified. Um, and, and I've worked around hospitals, so I, I learned at least a decade ago definitely a decade or so ago, that hospitals are not what people think they are. Yeah, I'm, I, if you get into a car wreck and they take you to the hospital, hopefully they can, they can help you. And, and if, if your choice is between imminent death and probable death, I think Michael the philosopher would say, why don't you go for probable death? The imminent death, the absolutely certain death, you, you should just avoid that. But probable death is not the same. So if you go to a hospital, yeah, you're taking your life into your own hands, yeah, I would say the standards of care in hospitals are pretty shitty. That's just my opinion. Um, but one of the things that's happened during the COVID, monkey herpes, whatever you want to call it, is a lot of healthcare professionals have been deified. Now, understand this. When I was growing up, right about this time, you know, 50 years later, we were going to have technology that would 
extend your life, you know, beyond your parents. And at the time, I think the life expectancy for a lot of people was pretty much around 70, you know, back then, um, 60s to 70s, I think. But the, the world that we're living in, this world, this is the world where you can be a really important philosopher, a important professor, somebody who has connections, probably somebody that knows a lot of people who are pretty smart in the medical field. You can be living in a city where there is the CDC. You can have cousins and relatives who are actually involved, you know, relatively high levels in healthcare. You have all the connections you think you would need to get all the right medicine. But the reality is Michael died. I, I wish he hadn't, but he did. He died in the year 2022. And when you, if you asked yourself back in 1972, what the fuck would this year look like? Like, where would we be by the year 2022? I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find anybody that would have picked this dystopia. There are lots of dystopias to choose from, but this one in particular, this mind fucktopia, I don't, I don't know. You might have also believed that a person wouldn't have just died in his early 50s or mid 50s, I think. It's weird to me. Maybe it's weird that I, I'm thinking about this, but it's weird to me that there's been so much deification of healthcare in the last couple of years. And it's weird to me that my cousin, who, who arguably probably had some of the best medical care in the country, he died and, and he was in his 50s, okay? It was weird to me when my sister Nancy died because in part, there was all of this I'm going to call it propaganda, but there was tons of propaganda 20 years ago about how close we were to curing cancer. But the reality is the standard of care for cancer, poison, burn, or stab, you know, chemo, radiation, or surgery, the standard of care for cancer hasn't changed much in my entire fucking life. Yeah, 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 there are kinds of immune system cures and all kinds of edgy stuff, but the reality is most people still get the poison or the stabbing or the radiation or some combo for their cancer. When my sister Nancy died at the age of 43, a breast cancer survivor, quote unquote, it shook me because, and again, it was at a time in my life where I was throwing away bad ideas. But up until that point, I still held on to the belief that, yeah, you know, they're getting better they're improving. Um, what I didn't understand is what they were improving. What they were improving was their bottom line. What they were improving was the machine's ability to take money out of your pocket. But, but they weren't actually improving the health care for ordinary people. They weren't. Um, and if you have a happy story about how the hospital cured you, God bless. But again, I'd say you know, certain death versus probable death, you have to take the wager you wait the way you want to. You have to decide you're going to go into the system and get treated or not. But once you go into that system, I think there's a lot of misplaced trust, I guess is what I'm getting at. And, and there's a lot of broken promises going back a long, long time. A lot of broken promises from healthcare people. A lot of, a lot of certainties they gave you that turned out to be complete uncertainties. Um, and yet we spent so much time deifying these these motherfuckers in the last couple of years. It's, it just boggles my mind. But that's okay, because this is the end of the podcast. 
and, and, what, and this is how I want to end. I don't know where Michael is. I believe in God in heaven. And so in my heart, Michael's in heaven with his dad. And he's in heaven with my dad and my mom and all the people that he knew that had passed before him. He is in heaven with them. I might be proven wrong when I die. And if I am, okay. It is my life and my choice. That's the thing. If Jesus had told any of us to simply obey, that would have been the whole New Testament. Simply obey. That's it, you know, beginning, end. That's all you need to know. Just obey whatever crooked authority comes along. But the Lord in heaven wants us to be free. And, you know, the thing about freedom is that it's amazing and it's critical. And we have to accept the fact that we are simply born free. Yeah, you know, con artists can convince you that they own your freedom, but they don't. But it's also difficult and scary. And there's always these questions you have. And for me as a, as a Christian, I ask the question, do good people go to heaven if they don't believe or, or if they don't believe the right way? And I don't know the answer, but I'm pretty certain if Jesus had wanted us to know the following, that there is literally only one way, one way, that's it, then the entire New Testament could have been just one paragraph, maybe a sentence. Simply, simply believe in me and that's it. But I think that faith in God's a bit more nuanced than that. Um, it's a bit more complicated, I'd say. And that's why the New Testament isn't just one sentence. And that's why the Bible isn't just one book, by the way. So Michael, up in heaven, say hi to dad. You know, hi, hi, George. Say hi to my dad. Say hi to my mom, Vera. Say hi to Nancy. And say hi to all the other folks that have gone away. Definitely say hi to Uncle Jim, your dad. You know, I'm sure he's annoyed at the way I live my life and God bless, it is my life. Um, and to all you out there who ask the question, is today a good day to try to figure out what matters? I think the answer is, yeah, I don't have the answers to what matters for you. That's the, I guess that's the the bad news. The bad news is you got to figure that out on your on your own. I mean, I'm sure there are people who will tell you, and I'm sure you can buy a book where they'll say it's all in this book. But what I am telling you is that other than the Bible and other than the lessons of Christ, what matters and what doesn't matter is tricky. But what I will tell you is that that's good advice for right now. Figuring out what you can be certain about. Okay, figuring out what matters and figuring out how to be happy with whatever time you have. If you're focused on institutions or promises like, oh, the promise of retirement, you need to give up on that human bullshit. I'm not saying don't play the game because we all got to pay the fucking bills right until the very end. Um, but right now, other than doing the things you have to do, when it comes to the things you can and want to do outside of the things you have to do, do some thinking on what matters, okay? That's, some good, that's a good lesson from anything like this. Because it's really easy to spend your life on crap. And here's what's really critical. What matters is not about me or about your friends, your mom, your wife, or, or, or your, your quote-unquote society. It's something you got to figure out on your own. And what matters to you might not matter to me. And guess what? It's all in the book of Ecclesiastes and it's all okay. As long as you're not hurting people, as long as you're not violating 
you know, basic principles of human behavior that are considered good. I mean, I would say as long as you're being a Christian, but you're not all Christians. But as long as you're being a good person, respecting other people's space, as long as you're not going around being a bully and being violent, what, what you do with your life outside of the space of evil is huge. You can do a lot there. You don't have to be bad, is my point. You don't have to be a slave, and you don't have to be a, cro a crooked person. But we all got to do what we got to do, and we all have to figure out what matters. You guys have a great rest of your weekend, okay?